0: Through your partnership, Leading the Way is expanding to meet the growing spiritual needs of our nation and the world, and God is reaching more people through our ministry together than ever before. Over the past year, Leading the Way has seen a surge of growth. New stations, new events, new broadcasts all lead to new souls coming to Christ. And Dr. Yusuf is pressing on to reach even more people with the gospel. We're expanding to new stations, increasing navigator distribution, as well as growing our embedded field teams and hosting large evangelistic events this year, and even more is on the horizon. But we need your help to make it a reality. This month, generous ministry partners have committed to a special June gift challenge, where they have pledged to match up to $350,000 given to leading the way, dollar for dollar you can double the impact of your giving and help Leading the Way expand further into new areas for Jesus. Will you join us this month by participating in the special June Gift Challenge? Contact us to give a generous gift today. Learn more about the worldwide reach of Leading the Way and how to stand with Dr. Yusuf and the team when you visit ltw.org or speak with a ministry representative at 1300 589 Hello and welcome to Leading the Way. Up next, Dr. Yusuf turns your attention to an emotional story from the book of John. It's a look at a faithful and loving father seeking only what Jesus can offer. Here's Dr. Michael Yusuf to begin this episode of Leading the Way. In the past decades, the Bible-believing Christians have spent their
1: time, effort and energy on an important issue of defending belief. Atheism and atheists and agnostics need to know God and to know His Word and that He speaks to the whole world. And that was right and it continues to be right. I have an instinct and a feeling that today and in the future, that the battleground has shifted, that the wind is now changed direction. It is in my estimation that we no longer need to talk about belief But we need to define the object of that belief. With the unholy alliance between the liberals and the church, we are finding that biblical words and biblical concepts are lifted out of their biblical context and is used and thrown around with such deception and misleading. Utter paganism has now crept into the church. Words that we are familiar with have been pulled out of their context and applied to something totally opposite to what it intended to be. Or take the word spirituality, for example. It is a word that is used to indicate that a person is walking and living by the Spirit of God under the power of God, under the authority of the Holy Spirit. Now that word is pulled out of that context and is used in the secular media to mean anything that is mystical. Any mystical experience, any non-material experience, that's spirituality. But if there is a word that really was completely dissected of its own biblical origin, is the word faith. The word faith is used by the media and by the motivational speakers to mean something differently from its biblical origin. By saying that you must have faith. They mean that you have to have faith in yourself. You have faith in your abilities. Have faith in your feelings. Have faith, any faith. You ask someone, do you have faith? Yes, of course I have faith. No, I mean faith in God. Yes, I have faith in God. Well, describe your God to me. Well, it's good, it's loving, doesn't harm. And the uninformed Christian said, oh, it's not wonderful. He must be talking about the same God I talk about. But until... You find out that he or she probably is talking about the spirit guide, about Mother Earth, Gaia, or a dozen other concepts of God. Today's motto is this. Whatever your God is, fine. As long as you believe in Him, her, or it. It doesn't make any difference. Even in some Christian circles, faith came to mean not faith in the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It's not faith in the God who intervenes in the power of His supernatural power and into the natural order. But rather, faith means that if you wish something hard enough, you'll get it. That's really how faith is interpreted in some of these circles. This Christian visualization movement. They say that if you visualize that you're rich, you become rich. A lot of people doing a lot of visualization (laughs) and happening. Or if you visualize that you are healed, then you will be healed. That there is no such thing as evil. Sickness is only an error of the mortal mind. I am well, completely well. I have no pain. Just keep saying this, and then you will not get sick. (laughs) Visualization, affirmation, and all that self-inducement are all based on self-deception. Not faith in the power of El Shaddai, the God Almighty. At best, this visualization is manipulation of God, if not trying to play God themselves. Yet the Bible teaches us about the faith that moves mountains. This faith is not based on my effort. It's not based on my feelings. It's not based on my manipulation of God. It's not based on what I want to get. But it is based upon a gift that God gives to His church. Real biblical faith is from God. Real biblical faith is always based on what God has already agreed to do. Whatever God says He will do, you can be sure that He will. God never gives faith unless He will answer it. Biblical faith is always presupposes a promise because God always keeps His word. Faith may be based upon the known mercy of God. Faith may be based upon knowing the true nature and character of God. In today's message, the Apostle John gives us an example of faith. And I want to remind you, every one of these seven miracles prior to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ has spiritual significance. In the first sign, when he changed water into wine as we saw in the previous message, Jesus revealed his glory and the disciples believed. Here in the second sign of John chapter 4, the spiritual significance is that the nobleman, not only him, but his entire household believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the object of that sign. Turn with me to John chapter 4, beginning at verse 43. This man belongs to Herod's court. He belongs to Herod's palace. He's a royal officer. He comes to Jesus asking him to go with him, from Cana to Capernaum. It's a trip of about 20 to 25 miles. And the reason he wanted him to go down with him so that to heal his son, who's very sick at the point of death. And after Jesus rebukes the nobleman, he heals his boy by remote control. He does not go like the man wanted him to. This royal officer in the king's palace comes to Jesus first out of desperation. Because he only knew about Jesus by reputation. He does not know him personally. He has no personal relationship with him. He just heard about him. He heard the reports of what others are saying. But by the end of the narrative, you see that not only the officer, but all his household come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the promised Redeemer. And that is the object of all miracles. Belief. Not for magic or somebody gets a power over people. That's wrong. But that some may believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and turn to Him. Now if you look carefully at this uh, miracle, you notice there is a progression of faith. First, you see a flickering of faith. Secondly, you see the flame of faith. But eventually you see the whole big fire of faith. The initial flickering of faith rested upon the report of others. The nobleman believed what others have told him. At that point, he did not know Jesus. He just heard about him. In many ways, that represents your journey and my journey of faith. Someone introduced us to the Lord. Someone says, come and see. Someone says, let me tell you about what happened in my life. Somebody says, come and see. Jesus forgave me all my sins. Jesus saved me from the punishment of my sins. And He can do that for you. So you come to Christ with that flickering of faith, that little light, that little spark. We don't understand a lot of things when we come to the Lord. We don't comprehend all truth, but the spark is there. In fact, I was thinking about this. I remember the story of a vessel that was steaming down the St. Lawrence River with such full speed while the fog was encircling the entire ship and some passengers were really angry and they became very angry at the captain. as going so fast in the middle of this fog and they went to the first mate and they approached him and they said, what's going on here? Why is he speeding so much? And the first mate smiled and he said, don't worry, the fog lays low but the captain is high above it and he sees where he's going. This is a flickering of faith. When you don't understand everything, when you don't know all the details, all the truth, but you know enough that Jesus is the captain of the ship of your life, and he's going to get you there. This nobleman did not know that his heart needed to be healed. This nobleman at that point did not know that his soul needed to be saved. This nobleman did not know that he's talking to the Savior of the world the one who existed before all the creation of the world, for whom and through whom all things were made. He did not know he was talking to the Lord Jesus Christ. His faith was narrow in its scope, it was short in its range, and it was limited in its perspective at that point because it was a flickering of faith. But he only had that spark of faith. Now some of you might be at this stage, you have a flickering of faith. Someone told you, someone invited you, You have seen how other lives have been changed. You know about Jesus by reputation. You know that he is more than just a religious leader, that he's more than just a teacher, that he's more than just a healer. He's more than just a name to call upon when you're in desperate need. If your faith is at this flickering stage, I pray to God that he would ignite it today to become a flame for him. This nobleman's faith was so feeble and it was so limited That in his mind, he put conditions around Jesus' power. He said, you got to come with me from Cana to Capernaum if my son was going to be healed. (laughs) And how many people do you know who think like this man? How many people do you know who have made up their minds already about what Jesus can and cannot do? What Jesus would and would not do? Some of you have conditioned your mind as to how Jesus can work. You have already decided that unless a person does certain things, practice certain things, go to a particular person or go to a particular place, God will not act. Well, notice verse 47. This man sought Jesus. He did not say to him, he said, Jesus, this boy is of a noble birth. No, it wouldn't do him any good. He didn't say, oh, Lord Jesus, he said, this is a good boy. No, but he said to him, he said, this boy, as the point of death, this man knew enough to know that his extremity was God's opportunity. You know, when David prayed, when he came with a prayer of faith, he said, Lord, forgive me, pardon my iniquity. This is a prayer of desperation. Today, when people come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness, they said, Oh, Lord, pardon my iniquity that uh, others caused me to commit. Lord, pardon my iniquity that was excusable, unavoidable, and totally out of my control. Lord, pardon my iniquity, which is not as bad as the iniquity of Billy Bob. (laughs) No, God does not forgive this kind of prayer. He does not forgive that kind of a person. He said, Lord, pardon my iniquity. And you know what? This is the key that locks the door of God's mercy. So, first we see the flickering of faith, then we see, secondly, a flame of faith. This man's flickering of faith was true as far as it went. His flame of faith was hindered. What do you think was hindering that flame of faith? Jesus put his finger on it right away. He knew it, he knew what it was. It was a desire for signs and wonders, it was a desire for the spectacular. And that is why Jesus gently not only rebukes him, but rebukes all the other Galileans who are standing with him. Because in the original language, the word you is in the plural, not in the singular. For this was the attitude of most Galileans, as it is the attitude of most Americans. Unless they see something spectacular, unless they see some wonders, unless they see something beyond explanation, unless they see something that will make them marvel, they will not believe. You know what? Most people who would demand this kind of thing would not believe even if they see it. You remember Jesus tells the story? Two men, one happened to be rich, but he had no time for God. And the other one happened to be poor, but was godly in his outlook. And they both died. (laughs) Make no mistake about it. Death is the equalizer. They both occupied no more than six feet down in the ground. Both died. One went to the bliss in the presence of Abraham. And the other one went to Haiti. And there he began to be tormented and experience the pain of hell. Jesus pre-existed with the Father, coexisted with the Father before all the foundation of the earth. And when he's telling us something, he's telling us something that he knew has happened. And he said... The man who's in torment was calling out and said, Lazarus, please bring me a drop of water to cool off my burning tongue in this torment of hell. Most of you know the story. And Lazarus laments the fact that there is a great gulf between us. We cannot go to you, you can't come to us. My friends, that's what's going to happen on the last day. There are two places that no third, there's no such thing as a purgatory in the Bible, there are only two places. Where are you going? And then the man, all of a sudden, he turned into an evangelist, just being in hell for a few minutes. And he said, please, raise somebody from the dead. Let someone rise from the dead, because I have brothers there who are going to come here, and I want them to come here. And Jesus said, if they're not going to believe the Word of God written in the Bible, they're not going to believe even if the dead will rise. With this nobleman, Jesus was testing him. Is he for real? Does he really mean business? Whether the flickering of his faith was real, or did he just come for sensationalism? And the nobleman does not defend himself. He does not argue with Jesus. He does not rationalize his needs. He simply urges Jesus, do something. My child is dying. And Jesus' response must have been absolutely astounding to this man. Because the man already made up his mind that unless Jesus comes to that trip, go down with him to Capernaum, the boy is not going to be healed. He expected him to go with him, but Jesus wouldn't go. You know, like the story we've read from the Old Testament, Naaman, the Syrian general. He thought, I assumed that Elisha was going to come out of his house, put his hand on me, call upon his God, and then I'll be healed from my leprosy. Now that's not the way Elisha did it. He just sent his servant. He said, go and take seven dips in the river Jordan, and you'll be healed. Do you know what? In both cases, the healing, the miracle was in the trip. It really was. It was in the trip, in making the journey. Right at the point when Jesus said to this man, go, your son lives. Right at this point when he heard Jesus utter these words, he turned around and went. He didn't say, well, how do I know that he's healed? Can you give me proof? Could you just at least wait until I go and check? No. (laughs) Right at this point is when this man's flickering of faith turned into a flame of faith. Right at this point, he demonstrated his faith. Right at this point, this man believed that Jesus Christ could heal just as easily from a distance as he would heal in his presence. He had faith to believe that when Jesus uttered the words, disease would flee. This man believed that the words of the psalmist, he sent his word to heal them. The man did not only believe Jesus and went away, as the scripture says. You know what he did? He didn't go home right away. He spent the night in Cana or somewhere along the road. Because according to John's timing, the seventh hour is about one o'clock in the afternoon. I know some translation has different, but trust me. It's about one o'clock in the afternoon when that has taken place. And he does not go home until the next day. Because his fears have gone. His anxieties have gone. His worries have gone. He took Jesus at his word. And according to John's timing, this man gets home in the next day. He's no panic. Why? Well, Jesus said so. There's no worry. Why? Jesus promised it. There's no fear. Why? Jesus gave me his word. So the flickering of faith gives way to the flame of faith, and then the flame gives way, thirdly, to the burning fire of faith. This man comes home, and he is greeted by some of his servants. Presumably, they came out to the edge of town to meet him. And they said, uh, in my language... Hey, Kamasabi, guess what? Your son lives. And he stops there for a second and he says, wait a minute. He said, those three words are very familiar. (laughs) I just heard them yesterday. They sound so familiar because they were Jesus' words. And if they say, let me tell you something. Don't tell me what time it happened. I'll tell you. What about one o'clock in the afternoon? Hey, guess what? That's right. How did you know? Jesus told me. And the man and his whole household, that including the servants and the children, everybody believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, because you see, faith sees the invisible, faith believes the incredible, faith receives the impossible, faith accepts the impossibilities, faith do without the indispensable and bears the intolerable. That's what faith is all about. Faith is idle. Listen to me very carefully. Faith is idle when your circumstances are all comfortable and all right. You will not be have a, a, the joy and the opportunity of exercising faith when everything is going smoothly. Some of you saying, I don't want to exercise faith. <laughs> <laughs> Only in adverse circumstances that faith comes out and begins to work. Faith is like a muscle that grows with exercise. It goes from a flickering to a flame to the big fire. Faith is trusting God's plan for your life, not asking Him to bless yours. Faith is obeying His will in your life, not demanding that He obeys yours. Faith is surrendering my desire to His desire. Faith is to pull off the road and says, okay, I'll give way to you, Lord. I want to ask you, what stage is your faith in right now? Is it flickering? Well, you can ask the Lord today, Lord, ignite a flame of fire in my heart. I want to trust you blindly. You can do that. i tell you something else. If your faith is still flickering, Bigfoot can come and stomp on it and will kill it. Unless you let the Lord Jesus ignite it in your life today. Satan is always ready to come and see. Little faith sparkles everywhere and he puts his foot on Is your faith flaming? Well, you can ask the Lord. Lord, ignite that flame and make it to be a huge fire of faith so that I can live my life with that fire of faith that will touch the lives of others and not just live for myself. That this fire of faith will bless others. That this fire of faith will change the lives of others. God can do that for you.
0: Encouragement to nurture faith. So it grows into a faith that blesses others. You're listening to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. You may have heard it mentioned that Dr. Youssef grew up in Egypt. By seeing people living in darkness and not knowing Christ, a passion grew in his heart to reach the lost with the gospel. Now, through the ministry of Leading the Way, lives are being touched around the world with the truth of God's word. And recently, our officers received a note from deep in the Middle East that we think will encourage you as much as it did our team. Mustafa from Morocco wrote, As a Muslim, I admired Jesus Christ and was convinced that he cannot be just a prophet. I believed in his uniqueness and wanted to become a Christian, but I had no clue on how to do that. One day I discovered leading the way on the kingdom's hat and called the field team. As you shared the gospel with me, I realized that Jesus is the Lord and I need to become a faithful follower of Christ. It was a decisive moment in my life when I prayed to receive him as my Lord and Savior. I experienced something that's hard to describe. Overwhelming peace, joy, and happiness. Here's how to learn more of the global mission of Leading the Way. Visit our website at ltw.org. Once again, ltw.org. Thank you for listening today. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf.